Welcome to your daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less from Hot Crime Cold Coffee. Listener discretion advised due to sensitive material and some violence. These daily episodes are brought to you Monday through Friday in addition to our regular weekly episodes that you can find on Wednesdays and Fridays. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, and yesterday's true crime trivia question was, when was DNA first used in a criminal trial? And the answer is 1986. It was first used by Dr. Alec Jeffries to verify a suspect's confession that he was responsible for two rape murders. Using DNA, the test proved that the suspect had not committed the crimes. The first person to be convicted on the basis of DNA was in the UK, and it was Robert Malias in 1987. Also in 1987, Tommy Lee Andrews was convicted in a rape case based on DNA in the U.S. Two other groundbreaking cases that used DNA evidence in the U.S. was the case of Glenn Dale Woodall versus the state of West Virginia in 1992 and the multiple murder trial of Timothy Wilson Spencer in Virginia in 1994. DNA evidence in the Woodall case exonerated him while the DNA evidence in the Spencer case is what caused him to be convicted. Can you imagine the whole can of worms that DNA testing brought up once it was being used in criminal cases? All of the special laws that had to be created on how to submit DNA, when you could use Z- DNA, even collecting DNA. It's so crazy. And even now, like with genealogical DNA being used in the last couple of years and all of the laws pertaining to that, including HIPAA laws and how you can access that information. It's not like every single person who does a DNA test, it goes into a public database. A lot of, especially with genealogical DNA, a lot of that is, it was voluntarily submitted to a database like GEDmatch. And if I haven't said it yet, and I've actually said it multiple times on the podcast, I think that DNA is so cool. It's just, it really intrigues me and I'm always looking up things when it comes to DNA. So I think it's pretty neat that it was first used in 1986 in a criminal case. Today's true crime trivia question is, what are the names of the brothers that were convicted in 1996 
of killing their parents. And I'll have the answer for you tomorrow. Today in true crime history on October 18th, 2009, a couple living in Fort Collins, Colorado, were charged with staging a publicity stunt. It's also known as the Balloon Boy hoax, which occurred on October 15th, 2009. They basically made a homemade gas balloon that was silver and shaped like a saucer. And they claimed that their six-year-old falcon was trapped inside. There were searches everywhere. There were National Guard, law enforcement were chasing after this balloon and they eventually found the child hiding at home. It was a hoax and <laughs> both of the parents of this little boy were basically charged because they did it for, as a publicity stunt. So Richard and Mayumi Heen from Colorado were charged. They had previously been on, I don't know if you remember that show, The Wife Swap. But they were just looking for, I'm not even sure. Why would you even do something like that? Pretend that your child has been kidnapped or disappeared? For what? For why? Look at Sherry Perini. She faked her kidnapping and now she's going to be living in the federal penitentiary for the next three years because she made something up. Richard and Mayumi Heen were sentenced to jail time. He got 90 days and she got 20 days. And on December 23rd of 2020, the governor pardoned them. Governor Jared Paulus of Colorado pardoned them because they said they had been pressured into a guilty plea under the threat of the wife's deportation. I don't know why you would pardon for something like that because it was obviously a hoax. I mean, they made the balloon and hid their kid and for whatever reason which to this day people think that they did it for some type of publicity so i'm not sure why the governor would pardon them but we all have our our opinions of if people are guilty or not i just think it's crazy so yesterday I brought up the four missing men from Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and it was released today that all four of the men had been shot and dismembered before they were thrown into the river. Law enforcement suspects that the four men were on their way to commit some crime they haven't said yet 
but they're looking for a man named Joe Kennedy who either he's the owner of the junkyard or the manager of the junkyard. They say that he's only a person of interest. He is not a suspect and he's possibly suicidal. One of the things that I've noticed about this case is that there is so much misinformation. People coming to conclusions from tattoos or all sorts of strange, weird, crazy stuff. And I've noticed that that has happened with a lot of different cases is that people jump to conclusions and... I research so much and I backtrack a lot and I even re-record some podcasts that even after I've researched them, sometimes I make mistakes, but I never intend to go with misinformation and with this case in particular, there has been a lot of that. Even though true crime podcasts are meant to uh, educate and entertain people, I still think that podcasters need to be as accurate in giving out the information that they do. And there is one person on Twitter right now that is just driving me nuts with her misinformation and rumors, which have proved wrong it. Just driving me bonkers. I had previously mentioned in a podcast episode the disappearance of Quentin Simon, a 20 month old little boy from Georgia. And law enforcement have released a statement saying that they believe that he is deceased and that his mother, Leilani, is a suspect in his death. She has not yet been charged, but they say all evidence that they have gathered has led to that conclusion that he is more than likely dead and his mother is the one that did it. But again, she has not yet been arrested. Apparently, the little boy and his two siblings were removed from his mother's custody and they were living with his grandmother. But after this incident, law enforcement or CFS or Child Protective Services, Child and Family Services, it depends on what state you're in, have removed the children from the grandmother's home because she left them multiple times with their mother, Leilani, which was unsafe. She, it was also released by law enforcement that, by law enforcement, right? This is not a rumor, that she has a current problem and addiction to drugs. And that's why the children were removed initially from the home and why they've been removed Again, because she is not clean and sober. And normally that is not something that law enforcement would release. All of this information is a little different 
because they're saying that she did it. They know that she did it, but they're not going to arrest her yet. And usually those allegations aren't that strong or supported unless they're going to arrest someone right then and there or someone has already been arrested. They're still looking for him. There's a landfill in the area that they believe that's where his body is if he really is deceased. And they're looking for a specific dumpster. And last but not least, we have a verdict in the Flores and Flores trial in California for the murder of Kristen Smart. Paul Flores was determined guilty by the jury. His verdict was reached today. His dad, Rubens, was reached yesterday, but they did not um, release it until today because the judge had said that neither of the verdicts would be read until both the juries came back with the verdict. And so Rubens was decided yesterday. Paul's was decided today. Paul's was read first at 1.30 this afternoon and Rubens was at two o'clock. So even though they determined Paul guilty of murder, and I believe he's facing the death penalty, they determined his father, Ruben Flores, as not guilty as an accessory to murder. So many people are angry and upset because Ruben was not considered guilty but after watching this case closely including all of the evidence and what was brought up if I had been a juror and I wasn't in the courtroom right but if I had been a juror I don't think I would have been able to determine Ruben guilty beyond reasonable doubt based on the information and the evidence I think that for Paul, there was just more stuff. There were way more witnesses that were able to connect him to violence and this murder. The only thing that really connected Ruben to this whole incident was the possibility of Kristen Smart being buried under his porch. And I'm sure there's all sorts of weird stuff buried on my property that I didn't even know about when my husband shot a bear a couple years ago and he buried the carcass. I had no idea that that's what he had done with it or even where it was at. And we live on the same property and it's not even far from the house. I had no idea though until, you know, almost a year later that that's where he put the bear after he removed all of the meat. It looks like I will be the only one for tomorrow's regular episode because Angie has abandoned me. Just kidding. She went hunting and she did not have time to meet up today and she's leaving early tomorrow morning. She's going to be gone 
hunting in Utah for about two weeks. So it's going to be just me for the next four episodes. So we'll see you tomorrow.